Welcome to the Winners Find A Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hello, it's Trent Clark. Welcome to the Winners Find A Way show. I am with my special guest today, Victoria Pelletier. How do I say that? Pelletier. Pelletier. Uh Thank you. Yeah, French-Canadian, right? Well, the husband is, yes. Okay. So, Victoria, thank you for joining us. Super excited about this show today. We talk to a lot of one percenters. Victoria is no different in this. Victoria, before we get going, tell people where they can find you. Find me on my website, which is victoria-peltier.com, and it will take you up to all the social platforms you want to follow me on. Awesome. There we go. That's how you find her. The website right there. International speaker, longtime corporate executive, Toronto native, University of Calgary psychology grad, right? Sounds That's odd. So, so, so long ago. Yeah. And you're, you're a Canadian living a long way from home in Miami. Like, you know, Canadians live in Miami. It's got to be like shell shock. Like, it's so different. Like, what a different environment. Yeah, very much so. Although there's a massive population that are snowbirds that come and live. And for some reason, it's Fort Lauderdale. That seems to be where most of the Canucks want to hang out up there and wait a little bit more diverse down here in Miami, Miami Beach. Yeah, but they're also like 40 years older than you are, right? Like, in fairness, like, you don't have blue hair, right? Like, I mean, (laughs) I I get it that I want to retire and, like, hang out in Lauderdale. I'll tell you what, I'd retire and move down to Lauderdale, Miami right now and feel good about it. Yeah, and as a Canadian and lots of snow, particularly my husband, who's from Quebec City, who gets, an like, an average of over three feet of snow a year, he's very happy that I keep taking us further and further south, and he'll never have to see Snowflake unless it's by choice again. And yeah, so we're going to come to that a little bit because there's some key things that you have to have as a Canadian and even in the environment. I mean, a little bit of just cold every once in a while, you got to feel it sometime, right? Like it's just, it's home, right? True. And as we were chatting about as a hockey player, I'm missing, you know, those elements of the things that are offered in more colder environments and four distinct seasons. I mean, here we have three hot, really hot and hurricane season. Yeah. Nice. So I'm missing like fall, the autumn, the change of colors. That yeah. I'm yeah, there's no color change. I lived in Phoenix for a long time and we just called it the brown box, right? <laughs> it was just like always this brown. Like, it was like, there are some seasons there, but eh, I think three is a stretch. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I do miss the seasons when I lived there. And my, my wife really did. Like that was like, Oh, like, like, when is it going to go fall? And I'm like, this is fall 70 and 70. This is fall. So now listen, you're, you're, you know, you're this superstar corporate executive. I mean, you know, IBM, American Express, Accenture. I mean, you're a 24 year old COO. I mean, logoffbadass.com here. Like, how do you become 
a 24-year-old COO. Walk me through that. Well, so I started working at 11. I worked in like the- Or MX or what was, you know, because we can call child labor law right now on that one. Like, you know, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I I think it was legally allowed then. So no, legally, and I, you know, worked in a hair salon doing everything, but cutting the hair, you know, cleaning and sweeping and making appointments and all that. But even by 14, I was the assistant manager of the shoe store I worked at. I graduated at 16 and went off to university and was working in a bank. And that was not the plan. The plan was I was going to be a lawyer- Hence the psychology helped me with understand yep. the psyche of, you know, those I either defended or, you know, were prosecuting, but I love the business world. So I worked in banking and I learned that, you know, I had great control over my skills and the lesson and what I learned. So I learned as much as I could. I had my securities license, even in my like early twenties and my work ethic and how I delivered everything. So that got me promoted up through, you know, the ranks within the banking world and that I then got recruited. Yes, massive stretch role for a 24 year old, although I'd had, you know, a number of years of experience, but I had contact center experience in this, the world of business process outsourcing 20 something years ago was very much like think telemarketing. I know we all get kind of icky feelings around that, but like telemarketing and customer service and some tech support. And I knew how to run large contact centers because that's what I was doing for the banks. And they had large banking clients, which is the environment I'd come from. So tick the box, but it was still a pretty big stretch role. HR, technology, sales, marketing reported to me where I'd been primarily in an operational before. So I needed to get really comfortable with some things that made me uncomfortable and surround myself with a great team. That's awesome stuff. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. You're now a public speaker, co-authored in a book called Unstoppable, very involved, had been involved in Chief, which is women in leadership, women in business. Tell us a little bit more about that. And of course, for those who do not know, and this is your first time listening to the Winners Find A Way show, we talk to the 1% about things they've had to overcome and challenged on their way to leadership. And there's a lot of things. I think oftentimes a lot of people see people in leadership and go, oh, primrose path. That was just like, oh, so easy. And the fact of the matter is, is what we found in our show is that Everyone has a story to tell of challenge along the way. And I love the quote, winners, when shown data, they are losing, find a way to win. And that was from the Four Disciplines of Execution book by Chris McChesney. And yeah, I just love it. And coming from my pro background in sports and athletics and then entrepreneur environment, like running into challenges and and like going, Hey, like we are totally losing. Right. I mean, I can look at my scoreboard and the KPI say, Hey, we're spending more than we're making. I can look at the scoreboard in the game and go, Hey, they've got 28 points and we have 12. Like this isn't going well. Right. I mean, there's some just really easy KPIs and something's got to change and be different or else likely to get the similar result, right? So one of the things I like about your background that we share, and I don't know if most people know this, as you alluded to, is that we're both hockey players and you don't look like a hockey player. I think like, I love that, you know, like, hey, I should, you know, you know, you know, it's Canadian. So it's like a law, right? You have to play. And so, but, you know, like most people wouldn't know that about you, that you, you get out, love to, love to mix it up, get out on the ice. Oh, completely. I, you know, it's funny because I, the A type personality that I am, I don't like to do things I generally don't excel at. And my sports were volleyball and basketball. I mean, by age 10, I was taller than my teacher. So no shock that I was kind of put into those sports, but I did skate. And then in my 
like at 24, I started playing, my ex played hockey, lots of friends did. And it took me, although I could skate, it was the first time really picking up a stick, but I stuck with it because I loved the challenge out there on the ice. And for me personally, learning to be better at a sport, I enjoyed it because I played with my ex in a co-ed league. And I, you know, pursued it, got to a point where I could play it at least the highest level of recreational play for me. And it's fast and I'm a weight trainer, but that got me my cardio. It was amazing. So, and then I even ended up, unfortunately my ex passed away and I, I, who used to coach the kids hockey, I started coaching. So I ended up becoming even the head coach of my, my daughter's hockey, which was pretty exciting. Yeah. And I tell you, that's, it's it's such a great sport. And I think that there's a lot of things to the game that people don't understand. Like probably one of the things about hockey that people don't understand is there's a regular threat of violence right that can happen like, like <laughs> yes. you play by some rules and there's a bunch of rules in the game and there's whistles and stuff like that but the violence is the feasibility of violence is real like and, and no official is going to stop you from actually gaining that effect before they can actually get there so there's a <laughs> lot of opportunity to kind of mind your p's and q's and play the game with honor and respect and it's always been an interesting environment to me when i watched like teammates uh not that this ever happened to me but you know like uh, teammates were just like you know out of sorts being a bad teammate and and one of the kind of enforcers in the team's got to kind of set it up in practice and be like hey you are going to take somewhat violence from somebody bigger and stronger because you're not being a good teammate right now and when it's over we kind of, it's over you know, it's not like, oh, you know, you were mean to me that one time. <laughs> like, like <laughs> It's kind of like, hey, man, like we had to set the record straight and, and we need to send a message and message was sent. Well, and you know, what's funny. So I played in lots of like charity events. And actually, when I worked for IBM, we co-hosted this client retired NHLer hockey game. And so I was one of like, you know, many IBMers who got to play on ice. First of all, me and 40 men. And which was still, it was fun. I loved it. Like the, you know, the retired NHLers, you know, had a lot of of fun with me out there. I played in one like charity with George LaRock, who was, who first of all, looks like a, like scary. He's a big black man with dreads out there on hulking man out on the ice. Like you are afraid, but he's a teddy bear. Yeah. Who now has like vegan restaurants and he's like the soft. And <laughs> yeah. he, was, he was telling me all about like the expectations that and they had for him to be, as you said, the enforcer. And but that's not like naturally in yeah. who who he is. Yeah. And when you when you meet this guy, this softy, but know his like his reputation and past, it's crazy. Yeah. There's a lot of it. You probably had a field day with the psychology of all that, right? As a, <laughs> yeah. as a grad, you're like, oh my gosh, these athletes. And I've met, you know, when you you're in the business world, the athletic world, the military world, you know, there, there's some like alpha dogs, right? It's like, man, like it's let's go, let's do it. It's like get her done. You know, that doctorate in GSD, right? Get stuff done, the nice version. (laughs) And then you got like, wow. But in that mode, there is this focus and aggression, almost aggression and intent and commitment. And then there's the the softer side, like, oh, wow, look at this person with their little girl, their little boy. (laughs) It's like, like, hey, what's up with this? I know, I am. Well, the dynamic. So Trent, I remember my son, I have two children and my older one who just turned 23 when he was, I think he was five in, in Canada. They call it Timbit hockey. Like you're just barely wa- like you're walking, but yeah, you're yeah, yeah. out there. Let, they follow it, you know, like a, a, you see young kids playing soccer. And I remember going and So he was so, he's so big. We, in fact, my ex and I have always called him our gentle giant. You know, he was already six, six feet tall at like 12 or something. And so I remember going out to him and I'm like, buddy, you need to go and take, grab the puck. And he's like, 
oh, mommy, like I didn't want to take it away from them. I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> like just trying to like yeah. breathe that like, you know, yeah. competitiveness and go oh, out yeah. there. And it's, it just, that's not innately who, who he is. That's who yeah. I am. But Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like that's a hard thing to watch in sports, right? It's a very challenging thing when you see an athlete who's very gifted at a younger age and two challenges really happen. Like one, unrealistic expectations from a lot of adults Two is this misinterpretation of like, oh, hey, you're eight, but you look 13. So I'm expecting 13 year old behaviors. And like, oh, my gosh, you know, this kid's pretty immature. I'm like, hey, they're eight. Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is an eight U league. It's not like a 13 year old kids in the league. Like, well, looks 13. And I'm like, again, there's an age restriction, right? Like it's like, yeah, yeah, that's right. and it's just so crazy. And you see it all the time. And, you know, we joke because I've coached, I have, I have five children, right? And we have four boys and a, and a girl and all my kids have played sports. And the running joke is, is like, wow, that was kind of a bad play there. You know, sometimes they act like they're 11. Oh, oh that's right. They are 11. Like <laughs> they're 11. Like, and, and they get around me and they're like, well, you know, I'm going to be a big leaguer. I know you had a lot of time in the major leagues. I'm like, uh, not at 11. He's not <laughs> like, yeah. like he's going to make, he's going to be a kid. He's going to make all sorts of mistakes. Like I did. Like, and, and by the way, watch a big league game, watch the NHL. They make all sorts of mistakes. It's but crazy. The, the competitiveness. And what I saw from some of the parents, like, so actually I remember my, my son, I mean, made like, he played, you know, a, a, at like the higher competitive levels and just, you know, at, 11 or something, I think was when he, he first moved up there. And, but like the dry land training and the this and the that. And I think the parents who were like living vicariously through their yeah. children to to be, you know, the major leaguer, which is just insane. Well, yeah. And, and obviously people knowing my background, I get that like almost weekly in a rink at a ball field, something like, hey, I'd like you to take a look at my nine-year-old. I think he's got big league talent. I'm like, you're kidding, right? Like, <laughs> like hey man, he's nine. Like you just need to let him or her enjoy the game. Like, love it and just have fun. Like, this is yeah. great. And like, if they really want it, like, they'll go get it. Like, they will go get it if they really want it. Like, yeah. But you can't want it for them. I no, mean, I was and I was devastated to my daughter, who is a very high level goalie, which is harder to come by. And I have a goalie, a female at that. <laughs> you know, who when we moved back to the U.S., all I had to do was what almost just say that she's Canadian, but then you know, to just show some. And she played up um, several years. She actually played in some of my women's leagues, and so she was in on all these teams. And then she made the decision. It was too much pressure. In fact, her prior team made her be the only goalie. She didn't even have a. They didn't even have a backup for her. Yeah. Uh, by, cho by choice. And, and she's like, no, mom, I don't want to play anymore. And I was like, do you know how much like in college <laughs> tuition you were foregoing that mom's yeah. going to have to pay? But I was like, but I didn't want to be one of those yeah. parents. So I let her make the decision. Yeah. And the big fear is that this huge commitment, I really appreciate that. You know, we, all of us, like we get unhappy for a moment. There's a season not going the way we want it to go. Man, all, all of our visions of how this thing was going to go isn't going that way, right? But do we throw it away? And, you know, my, my fear for these kids is that there's an age window and it's, it's not like, hey, at 24, I want to turn it back on again and get this thing going and maybe it'd be a draftee choice. I'm like, that's not how it's going to work. Like, <laughs> that's right. Like, this is a decision that you're making. And I know it's hard at 17, 18, 19 years old, but this decision is a one that is, is going to be predicated on that's it. I mean, and it's going to be hard to reverse. And so it's hard to, you know, it's such a young age to like 
bring quote unquote like finality to it and it's challenging but you know I want, I want to dive into you because you know you were a young kid and a good athlete but you know you're a kid who's been through some things I mean some real things and I want to talk a little bit about just quickly you kind of sharing your story and quickly talking about like hey you know I, I say a lot of things about abuse because I've been through some and I just I just want to revisit it I don't want to relive it Right. And when we talk about that, that's what's very important in, in a relationship is we learn from some things that happen. And I know, Victoria, you're very balanced. You talk about this a lot. So I'm not concerned with you. But for people out there who are talking with people, I really encourage you on that, that we're going to talk about it. And we're going to move on. And it's, it's really important, I think, because Victoria it shaped a lot of things of the way you are. Yeah. It did. I And so what I will tell you is I, I wouldn't have shared this story as openly as I do now until probably 10 or so years ago, maybe in one, one-off settings for sure. But And I realized the importance of me sharing my story for, for many reasons, but I spent a significant amount of my time coaching and mentoring others who want to know what's caused me to be so driven and achieve the levels that I've achieved. And I would be doing them and myself a disservice if I didn't tell them my why. Simon Sinek, start with why. Like, you need to understand my lived experience is a big part of what's driven me to get here today. So mine is that I was born to a teenage mother who was addicted to drugs and was exceptionally abusive to me. Like a dislocated shoulder at 18 months. I pushed upstairs, downstairs, a cigarette in my eye, I wore a patch for, for months. Who, you know, I went in and out of care and Julie, my biological mother, ended up meeting a couple that ended up adopting me. And it was because my mom and the, my mom was the woman that raised me said at some point after all of the you know time she'd watched me after one of these sessions, she said to Julie, like, I would love to take, take her away and take her out of this. And that's on the heels of the last thing Julie said while I was living in her care, come and get her before I kill her. So mm. that was my experience. And then it wasn't like all sunshine and rainbows. You know, my, you know, my parents were, you know, loving and certainly no abuse. And my mom was a phenomenal woman who I attribute a lot of my ability to process like challenges and help me be really self-reflective and aware, but socioeconomically lower. My dad was a janitor at a school and my mom a secretary. So when my mom told me, I think I was 11, she's like, Tori, you need to do better than us. She meant like education and vocationally. But yeah. for me, I knew I was determined to be better than the biology um, or the circumstance. Yeah. And going back to, you know, me knowing I could control in a work setting, my education and my skills and my work ethic. So that's where a lot of it comes from. And my ability, I do think, however, this level of resilience and, you know, being unstoppable, there is a part DNA fight or flight. I'm a fighter, but I also had to learn how to be more effective at dealing with challenge, adversity, and trauma, and, and a little, a healthier way of doing it. Because like <laughs> compartmentalizing it and never dealing or processing with it isn't healthy. You might be able to move on, and at some point it might catch up to you, but also how it can impact your relationships, et cetera. So that challenge is a big part of why I think I am where I am today. And some of the reasons I I talk so openly about it now is to help others. Yeah, such a challenge. You know, I think one of the things that I learned, and I think this is a big part of diversity, right? And a big part of diversity is not just, you know, I think when people think diversity, they, they think skin color. Mm -hmm. I think diversity is like, way bigger than that, right? Like, it's like, hey, what's your socioeconomic background? What's your education levels? What did you, you know, because education levels are all sorts of different education. Like, there's a lot of people got educated on the street with no book smart, right? And like, dang, super smart, right? And, and applied in a different way. And of course, you know, being in professional baseball, 
the diversity we had involved with 25, you know, grown men from 11 different countries with six different languages. Like, like it's crazy. Like all the stuff that you have to go for a common goal and come together. And it's like, man, like this is going to be crazy. Right. So talk to me a little bit about like, when you talk about overcoming adversity, a lot of people are facing all sorts of different adversities today, Mm. whether it's socioeconomic, you know, whatever it is today. One of the things I really admire about you is there's no victimhood here. Like, I mean, I see a lot of people are like, you know, woe is me. I was born the wrong side of the tracks. Like, (laughs) which side is is that? Because I don't know which side (laughs) I was on growing up. I can tell you, I don't think it was the good one. So, but like, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's it's funny. One of the like hashtags I sign off a lot on my posts with is no excuses. And, And this is because we all do, we all face different kinds of adversity. It doesn't all have to be abuse and trauma, but just adversity or challenge. And whether that's the wrong side of the tracks and therefore not being given all of the opportunity to go to the right schools or meet the right people. So stuff's going to happen. And for me, the no excuses is that we have a choice in terms of how we are going to move forward with that. And For me, that doesn't mean that, you know, we don't feel the emotion. In fact, I think if you're like so hard and that compartmentalizing or not processing it and where you don't feel it, I don't, I don't think is healthy. You know, my best friend calls me turtle and that's because of my resilience, hard exterior, but all soft and marshmallow inside. Or, you know, I cry at Sarah McLaughlin singing on the Humane Society commercials, (laughs) but I have the emotion and then I make a choice in terms of how I'm going to move forward. And that's for for everything, both personally and professionally, you know, anchoring on a goal or objective or where I'm going to move forward to. And and it could be everything, whether it's in sports and you want to get to a certain level, whether you're trying to lose weight and you want to get to a certain weight, whatever it is, or in in career, you want to reach a certain, you know, level, like there's, that's the goal and there's steps to get there. And I am going to not only take action, but I'll model some of the thinking, the language and the behavior I need to to get forward. And so that's the choice I have. So my children hate that. I, I'm like, no excuses, but it's really that w- we have choices in how yeah. we move forward. And that's why there's yeah. no victimhood here with me. Yeah. And I like this. I like this quote that you, you say sometimes in speaking, right? Circumstances of our past should not rob us of our future. Talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, like, you know, when you're, when you're talking to people about, I think a lot of people want to play their circumstance card, right? How do you tell them like, Hey, listen, there, there is a choice. Well, so, so this go to choice in terms of how you choose to respond. For me, I wasn't probably could have been the best darn drug dealer on the street if I'd followed down Julie's path right? Like, you know, my biological mother's path. And so yeah. sure, that's a choice. Or, you know, my, my parents, you know, I lived in the, I lived in the, you know, the wrong side of the tracks, you know, where they're, and funny going back way back when it was about stabbings. It wasn't about gun shootings all the time. It was m- much more in growing up for me in the eighties and in Calgary. And so I, I could have chosen to stay in there. I used it to fuel me to say, like, I'm going to prove you all wrong. I am getting out of here and I'm going to strive for something better. And so that's, so I didn't, I didn't, I never once leveraged the fact that where I came from at, at all and the circumstance and challenge that I've had, I use it to fuel me. I didn't use it in, you know, to gain advantage in the workplace yeah. or, or beyond that. And, I, and I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not suggesting that we can't or shouldn't when appropriate, you know, so me who does a ton of work from a diversity and inclusion standpoint, 
it's helpful for me to share my story with people, to share that I'm part of the queer community and now have a trans child. Like there's benefits to me talking through some of these things, given it's connected to the work or the things I'm passionate about. Is I wouldn't tell your audience not to leverage it, but it shouldn't be either what holds you back mm-hmm. or the sole thing that helps propel you forward. Yeah. Let's talk about if that's healthy. Right. I mean, just I'm trying to think when I was driven, my why, like my why to go to the major leagues was because people told me no all the time. And I wasn't big enough. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't fast enough. Like, and, and I'm starting to play this real in my head. Like, I'm not enough. Right. And I'm like, man, you know, like I'm going to prove them all wrong. I mean, that was, it was a drive that, and I don't know if it was healthy, by the way. Right. <laughs> you know what? I'll show you all. You know, like, yeah. that was going to be part of my drive was like, man, not that I ever foresaw you know, or could see my foreseeable future of like, you know what, I'm going to go back to those 500 people. I told you so. I told you. So. <laughs> you know, like, I didn't see that, but I learned a lot of valuable things along the way. And, you know, have you done your Enneagram? No. Okay. Because I'm an eight on Enneagram. Like I am a fighter. Like I am like, you know, fight or flight. I don't understand yeah. the flight part. So I'm like, dang. And you know, when you do it, it's like, you know, you eights are kind of angry. And I'm like, dang, am I angry? Like, you know, like I don't feel angry, but <laughs> yeah, I think that it's that fight part. Right. And I mean, it's, it's served me, but I don't know if it's always been healthy. Is that fair? Totally. I agree. I don't think I always had a very healthy way of thinking about things and from a host of different ways. So my ability to compartmentalize or push people away before they ever hurt me, that was a defense mechanism, not healthy in relationships. So that would be one. I was determined. No one told me I couldn't because of biology or socioeconomic status in my, my family. I had this vision that I was going to prove them, even if they didn't say it out loud, I was going to prove everyone wrong. And some of the the wrong ways about that was even actually from a material possession, you know, so accumulating more. And as I rose up the ranks, you know, what vehicle I drove and how large my home was and all of those things Hmm. meant more, but really for status and proving something to the rest of the world. And also even I didn't want to appear ever to be vulnerable and show emotion in the workplace. One, I was a very young executive and I was the only woman for a lot of the time. And I just thought I needed to appear to be a different way. And again, not like I didn't want to be vulnerable because I didn't want to appear in that setting to to be weak. So those were all ways that I wasn't doing it right or healthy. And so I think as much as I think there's like innately this DNA and we both have the fight instinct, I still think that you can build the muscle on how to be more resilient in the healthy way. Yeah. Do you think the turtle self-described or or friend described, let's say that friend <laughs> yeah. described turtle. I mean, do you think that, you know, like, listen, that was survival in that environment as a 24 year old, like, Hey, listen, if this is a pretty alpha dog kind of environment, like the rabbit's not going to survive amongst these dogs. Right. And so the turtle can make it. And I know how to do that because I can cover up and like, Hey, I can still be myself on the inside. And, but on the exterior, like I'm tough, like this isn't going to yeah. happen. And, and I got to show that is that, was that the effect of that? It was for sure. And so, I mean, I'll be one clear about the turtle thing. And I never actually challenged my best friend who calls me that like, there's <laughs> no going slow for me on anything, um, Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it backfired on me. So I think it, it did. It was served me well in terms of protecting me and advancing me in many ways with the leaders I work for. But I actually got a, a different nickname in my late 20s as the Iron Maiden. 
So mm, I've been through eight, <laughs> yeah, I've been through 18 mergers and acquisitions. And I, I'm often, even if I look at a functional level, I'm usually the, I'm in a position of leading the majority of the cost center for the business because that's the operational, the most people. And yeah. so therefore I'm having to do reorganizations, particularly when we're through acquisitions or mergers. And that was hard on me. I mean, I'm, I'm affecting people's livelihoods and career by exiting them out of the business or having to do some kind of reorganization, but I never showed that. So that's mm. where the, the nickname came from. And I had to go like, holy crap, like this, that's actually not, it isn't who I am. The turtle inside is not like that. I'm highly emotional and this is painful for me to make these decisions. And that's not the kind of leader I would want to work for. Mm. I would want, you know, I want people to follow me into the proverbial fire rather than fearing. And so what had become this way of like protectionist and, you know, environment, I recognized to be a better leader and a kind of leader I wanted to be. I had to do these different. How's that? Like, let's talk about Iron Maiden Victoria for a minute, just because, you know, huge fan of the group. So when you're talking about that, but like one of the big challenges is, is, you know, you know, it's really not who you are interiorly, right? So how do you do the, the, it's like Jekyll and Hyde, like your professional Victoria and personal Victoria. And, you know, a little bit like we're talking about with the, with the pro hockey player, right? Like the pro athlete that we all see on TV is like, oh my gosh, did you see him wreck that dude in the corner? <laughs> like, oh yeah, I saw him like making cotton candy for the kids on the weekend. Like what? Like, like. Yeah, probably laced with arsenic. You're like, what? <laughs> nice. I don't think so. Like, I think he's a good dude. Like, and so, you know, there's this environment where we're always like, you know, personal, professional, personal, professional, you're bouncing back. And, and you've got some extremes to that. Is that fair? Yeah. And so I had to, I mean, the reality is I felt like this is all Victoria all the time, but there was a filter at work, right? In terms of, I'm not going to be emotional. I'm not going to show any vulnerability. And, but I still felt like I was me, but it was filters or masks or whatever. And so it was tough. Like I did, it, I did not change overnight. I needed to do things differently. And that was, some of it was really simple. Like I would walk into a meeting and I was all business all the time. Let's get straight to the agenda. Let's be as efficient as possible to go, whoa. Like we need to build relationships with people and rapport yeah. and they need to trust me. So let's take the first five minutes of the meeting to like, just shoot the whatever. Yeah. And you know, how was the weekend, I, you know, how are the kids? How exactly. are, you know, this what's happening is everyone healthy at home. Like, you know, personalizing it a little bit because the X's and O's are easy to dig into. Yeah. So it's about being intentional. And so that was a lot of intentionality and so changing just action and behavior. But then there was also getting comfortable and leaning into a few of the things that made me uncomfortable. So sharing my story, I didn't share so openly. And I'd coach people and tell them like, yeah, it's about, you know, performance and work ethic. And well, no, no, let's talk about like the 20 something years before you entered into the work world and this environment and like how that lived experience actually impacts you every day. And so, okay, I'll need to tell my story, but I also, in just building better and better relationships with my teams to the point where like, it's a good and a bad thing to say, like you have your, this family in a work setting. But I mean, I've, I have people who came to my, like 15 of my team members came to my wedding because we were so, my second wedding because we were so close and have followed me, you know, from company to company when I didn't have a non, non-solicitation in place, you know? And so that was intentional in terms of, you know, just how I showed up every day. But now I truly can say like, there's not, I'm not saying Trent that there's not still filters appropriately. There's some things I cannot share or although I, I operate with radical candor, so I'll get very direct feedback from a place of care and compassion and hope for growth for that individual. There's still some things I'm going to be really mindful of how I say, but it's all Victoria. Like you are not going to say when you meet me in a 
in a more personal setting and in the hockey arena, which by the way, I've done a ton of business there, you know, to like in the corporate boardroom, like it's not different. That's it's Victoria. It's the same stories. Unfortunately, people will hear them multiple times over because I forget who I've said them to, but like, (laughs) you know, but that, but, and, and so that, but that came with years and years of like being strategic and being really intentional about in that case, having to pivot and change to the point now that it's just completely innate. It's who I am. I talk to strangers in elevators. Like I'm just way more, extroverted and outgoing and wanting to build the, the connection with people. Great. So let's talk about two more things here. I know we're going to get you get you where you got to go, but you've got a way to accomplish more. You teach a lot of people about how they can accomplish more. Let's talk a little bit about that because I think everybody wants to accomplish more. We're all lobbying for a 30 hour day and none of us are getting it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah. This is just six more hours. I can get it all done. You know? Yeah. So I, there's a multitude of ways that I do this. So I'm a big believer and I hate when people, I don't like people actually asking me how, how you have it all, how, like how can, can you have it all or, or making excuses for their inability to do other things. So for me, I say where there's conviction, there is capacity. So where there's conviction, there's capacity. So if you truly believe it and you want to do it, like if you want to be healthy, then you know what? You're not going to go to bed at two o'clock in the morning because you're Netflixing. You're going to go to bed early enough to set your alarm to get up and go to the gym. Or if you want to, you know, move out of like the nine to five job and to become an entrepreneur, but you need to build, you know, it's revenue stream to a point to afford it. Then I say, there's your nine to five and then there's your five to nine. And so again, you make choice over how are you going to, you know, be I can say Netflixing now and something very different. I would have said 20 years ago, like, how are you choosing to spend your off time? And then also I'll say, you know, you get very good at saying no to the things that don't bring you personal or professional joy or value. And there's still some things that have to get done like our laundry, like cleaning our homes, you know, so you delegate or you outsource that and the same in the corporate world. So I've gotten really good at saying no to things and either paying people to do things that I don't want to do like my cleaning lady, you know, yeah. to, to help out or a nanny. When my kids were younger, that made it possible for me to, you know, be an executive and on the road. I also yeah. have had supportive like partners. So I, I, I will acknowledge that both in my first marriage and now my second, but I've chosen, you know, how to, how to do those things. And even as an entrepreneur, and a lot of your audience is an entrepreneur, like, and they think I don't have enough money to do it. Like I've also just said, there's really creative ways. We, most of us know about the gig, gig work now between Fiverr or Upwork and the ability to get stuff, but also like the barter and trade of services. Like there's a significant number of ways to go about and be effective versus thinking you have to do it all, particularly if you don't have skill in all of those areas. Yeah, for sure. I think two things. I want to get that quote right. Where there's conviction, there's commitment. Is that right? Capacity. Capacity. Thank you. Capacity. Capacity. And I love that, right? Because we do create capacity all around it, what we want to commit. I mean, that's the it's the biggest challenge when people tell me they don't have capacity. And I just watch them do something that I would never do for four hours, right? <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. So you're just not convicted on this. Like, that's just kind of fair. And then, you know, I also love the fact, like, you know, this, this saying, no, you sound like Nancy Reagan, just say no. But, you know, I think that there's also, I've always said, you know, Hey, saying, saying yes to everyone is saying no to somebody, whether you like it or not, like you are saying no to people. And that shows up in a lot of different ways because all of a sudden you don't have the capacity for them. And it's like, oh, well, you're telling me you can't make my game, mom. You can't do this because you got to go out of town and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, this could burn me a little bit on how I've said yes to everyone. So I love that. I like this one of your management. Let's close with this one. There's no schedules. There's just deliverables. Yes. And I've had this saying with my team years and years before the pandemic and we worked from 
from home and gave a lot more flexibility in the workplace. And that's, I hire in, you know, talented individuals whom I trust. That's inherently built in there. So let's be very specific around what does success look like and what are the deliverables that we must meet for one another and for our clients or customers. And so you don't, you've never had to ask me for permission to leave early to take a child to a sporting event or take an aged parent to a doctor's appointment. You know, I trust you. You know, we have to get this, you know, to the client by the end of the week, Friday. So if on Wednesday, you need to leave at three o'clock, like have at her, but I, I have expectations around the deliverables that, and I'm very like, and if you can't meet, I, I, I'm not one who says like, we're not going to flex on that. Manage my expectations or client, I'm, I'm a little more sticky when it's clients, but like let's manage the expectations and just let's work towards the deliverable. So if it only takes you 30 hours to get your, four, what it takes other people 40 hours to do in a work week, amazing, good for you. Yeah, I think it's one of the challenges. Like we, we kind of teach on the same thing at leadership. One of those big itties, right, <laughs> is that dependability. And, you know, when I hear you talk about it, we talk a lot about, you know, I'm not managing on expectations, I'm managing off agreements. And so- I don't want to like miscommunicate what the expectation is and what you think expectation is. And that's all up for interpretation. Like, here's the agreement. This is what we need. This is the deliverable. This is what, you know, you, and you kind of set that in deliverable. This is what it is. This is when it's by, we all understand what the deliverable is. Don't care how you get there. I, you have autonomous ability to move inside that because I trust you. Now, where a lot of people go, you know, I'm feeling micromanaged. You know, I'm, I'm feeling very micromanaged. It's like, you've proved that you're not dependable. Like we've had these deliverables and then you miss them and you miss those deadlines. You miss, you, you said you'd have this to me by next Friday and then you don't make your own agreement and you don't communicate during that time of why that may have changed or what happened. And then it's Friday, a bunch of team members have expectations that, Hey, I'm going to get this now because the agreement's set and now none of the information's available and all the rest of the team is now affected because there's no communication around it. And so it's like, well, I'm being micromanaged because you didn't prove trustworthy. You didn't prove dependable. You didn't prove the adaptable to the situation. You didn't communicate. Like there's all these skill sets that had to happen inside that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But then it, as a leader, it's, this is where some of the tough stuff comes in and having the hard conversations. When, it, when I've had terminated people for performance, it's never a shock or surprise. We've had a multitude of conversations and opportunity and coaching that's and right. development. Yeah. I think that's my worst experience of leaders. If you're a leader out there today and you get this big shock when you're letting someone go, I'm going to say that's on you. Like I'm telling you that that should not come a shock to anyone because if we're communicating, and I think this is why a lot of people really get upset about firing the bottom 10%, you know, the Jack Welch formula, right? And Jack was like, hey, listen, like we're having meetings and quarterly reviews are awful for these folks, right? Because they're not doing well. They may have all sorts of skills, but they're in the wrong seat or something's amiss. And so they're being communicated. And like, it sucks to go to work. Like, man, I'm going to have to go in and see Victoria. She's going to tell me how shitty I'm doing this. <laughs> like, it's like, Oh my gosh, I'm not looking forward to review day. I'm not. And guess what? I've seen a lot of people get fired and the shoulders just drop. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a relief to me because I had this other degree and I feel like this is where I should be at, yeah. but I've been able to make the bills this way. And this is going to force me to go back into a seat where I like being. And I think people look at it very negatively, but if you're in a bottom 10%, when we're talking about winners find a way, the bottom 10% doesn't like it anyway. Like you are getting your tail kicked all the time. It's not going well for you. Is that fair? 
Absolutely. I mean, they should know. I mean, if, if they don't, I, again, I agree it's on the the leader, but if we're also clear from the get-go what how performance is measured and what success looks like, they should know how they're doing. Okay. Yeah, that's so good. So I love that. So no schedules, just deliverables. Know when to say no and then steadfast. Have some boundaries around that. Where there's conviction, there's capacity. I love that. The overcoming of adversity. You have me get this right this quote, right? Circumstances of our past should not rob us of our future. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And so it's great to talk to a fellow hockey player. I just really enjoy this, Victoria. Victoria, for everyone out there who's kind of just last thing you can leave me with is, you know, there's a lot of struggles out there today and I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Right. And they're having to overcome some challenges. Is there something like when you're in the, when you're mired in some tough times and things aren't always rose colored and perfect, do you have something that you go to, you read, do you have a quote, do you have things that like you come back to that says, Hey, this can level me or anything in your routine that kind of sets you back on that line to action and productivity. So I do have a favorite quote, but before I share it, I'll say that, you know, for me, I'm my mindfulness. I am not one who like the vision board stuff, whatever, like doesn't work for me. I recognize it might work for other people. For me, I just, need to think it and know that I'm going to have like meet a goal or objective and be mindful towards it. I'm incredibly self-reflective. And one of the best times I do that other than being a horrible sleeper and doing it in the middle of the night is I work out six days a week in the gym. And so it's with a podcast or music, but I'm still like reflecting. That's my time that helps me get through all the challenges that are ahead of me. And that favorite quote I have is by George Adair. And it's everything you've ever wanted lives on the other side of fear. And so I think, you know, we, you know, fear, that we're going to fail along the way. We fear that we're going to have rejection, that people are going to tell us, no, there's lots of fears that we have that hold people back. And I just think stepping into the fear and the discomfort is what brings growth. I love that. You know, I was thinking about our time. You know, I love the fact that you're not like New Year's resolution driven. I think the fitness thing is such a big deal because physiologically, you know, that's where I studied. No, I get the endorphins. What what happens to your psyche when you're working out? You feel better about yourself. There's hormones secreted. Like there are a bunch of great things that happen by physical action and taking action. But I was reminded of a quote by Cavett Robert, which is character is the ability to carry out a good resolution long after the excitement of the moment has passed. And I think people get all pumped up like, oh, look at this. We're going to do this. Like, okay. And then a week later, like, oh, that seems really hard. (laughs) I know. But like, this is why we got to stay with it. Right. And so we're looking for, and it sounds like you're always looking for those people of character to help you create and make those deliverables. So I love that. Yes. Thank you. So great to have you, Victoria, on the show. Everybody, thank you for joining us on the Winners Find a Way show. Check out Victoria. Again, Victoria, where can they find you? Victoria-Peltier.com. There you go. Book her for a speaking engagement. You can find her. She is inside the state, so she can move around. She's you know, not locked out. She's here and can get anywhere now, so it's awesome. So excited that uh, you could join me today, Victoria, for everyone else. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Winners Find a Way show every Friday, 12.38 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific on our Leadership at YouTube show, LinkedIn Live, and Facebook Live. Until next week, we'll see you then. Rebellious Infusions are organic flavored water enhancers. Rebellious provides clean, focused energy in liquid packets. Just tear the corner of the packet and pour 16 ounces of water. Rebellious Infusions have no sugar, no calories, and up to 300 milligrams of antioxidants and loads of L-thionine for brain health. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. 
Do you want to be our next guest? Or do you have inspiring stories to share? Or do you love to inspire, support, and empower thought leaders? Feel free to send Trent a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at Leadershipity.